You're listening to the Still Called podcast. For more information, go to stillcalled.me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast episode from yours truly, Still Called. Hope you're having a wonderful new year. 2023 is going to be great. I think 2023 is probably going to be much like every other year, and how you respond to the normal ebb and flow of life um, will determine your success, Uh, but I think that uh, we have a lot of promises according to Scripture that we win and don't lose, that we can overcome, that we can thrive and prosper and succeed even in the face of hardship, trial, and oppression. So we are winners, not losers. God is on our side. And that's a promise for Christians. If you're born again, that promise is for you. Those promises belong to you. You inherited them through the righteousness of Christ and all that was afforded to him because of who he was and what he did for us. So this episode is going to be a little different. Um, I preached a sermon recently at my home church of Deliverance Bible Church in Hearst, Texas, where we have been in a solid, active move of revival uh, since 2016. It's been great. It's been wild. It's been intense. Um, can't really explain it. Uh, DBC, as you know it, the church we call Deliverance Bible Church, died um, about that point in time, which was a good death because it was kind of like a seed going into the ground. It died and it sprung forth great life and produced much fruit. Um, and what we ended up putting into the ground and killing as a church and a movement and whatever else you want to call it, uh, it needed to die. So revival has been great. But So this is a, a full sermon that I preached um, just a few weeks ago. Um, I can't remember the exact date as I'm sitting here, but uh, I will include that in the title so it'll be clear. You'll know what it is probably before I do as I'm saying this, because time is relative and a man-made construction and it makes no sense. So um, if you get that joke, you're smart. If you don't, I love you. So with no further ado, this is a sermon I guess I would title Jesus is still the answer. Um, And in parentheses, we might call it the scandal. So enjoy. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. God is good. Mm. So good. Better, heck of a lot better than what I deserve. Shikabasa. Let's just give him a minute just to do whatever he wants. <laughs> Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what gets you laughing, but I'll tell you what gets me laughing. I just think about God put up with me. I mean, just his mercy. 
his continued grace. <laughs> Beyond just saying that he's that he put the scandal that he puts up with me or has put up with me, but it, that he doesn't even think about me that way. That above and beyond that, he sees me as a son, you know, that he likes me, he loves me, and he likes you, he loves you. I mean, the scandal that he would save his enemies, the, the scandal that he would <laughs> choose us when there were such better opportunities, much better options out there, much holier people, that he chose the wicked ones, the wretches, the ones who cursed him and hated him. And then he raises us up and he calls us sons and daughters. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It shouldn't be funny, but, but it gets me laughing. It gets me laughing. And I, I'm just so blessed I mean, I think, <laughs> I just think back to, <laughs> oh, Lord, <laughs> I just think back to how consumed I was with drugs, you know, like, so vile, so consumed, so submitted in idolatry to that lifestyle and just think that he he changed that i mean just did the fact that i'm standing here today it's a scandal and that gets me happy i mean come hell or high water it's hard to wipe the smile off my face no matter what's going on in the world around me no matter what kind of pain or heartache might try to come my way, what kind of bill collectors knocking at the door, at the end of the day, I've got a joy that you can't take away from me. I've got a hope that cannot be stolen from me. I have a peace that abounds all understanding. It doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense to anyone else. But somehow, for some reason, God likes me. For some, Somehow... <laughs> <laughs> he calls me righteous, holy, set apart, loved, liked, chosen, called, commissioned. I mean, I'm glad. See, if I was God, I wouldn't do it. So that's why I'm always like, sometimes, you know, because life comes your way, right? I mean, you get stressed out. You know, I mean, maybe not you. I do. Maybe you're perfect and you don't ever worry about anything. You don't stress about anything. But sometimes I get a little worried and I get a little stressed. And I begin to fixate and focus on those things that are triggering the, the worry or the stress, right? And I, I get a little forgetful. And I have to stop in those moments and just slow down and just tune out those things, those triggering things, and just come back and remember, like, you know, 18 years ago, I was smoking meth. <laughs> Any problem I have today pales in comparison. And I give all the credit and glory to God that I don't want to die. 
you know. For me, when I was growing up, through my teenage years until I was 25, that was probably the most profound, overarching thought that I had on a daily basis, that I wanted to die. Like, I, I hated being alive. L being alive was a miserable thing. And the only thing that ever changed that ache of depression and gloom and misery was doing drugs and drinking, partying. And even that was fleeting because you can't stay high. You wish you could, but it doesn't work that way. So in between those highs are the most darkest of lows any human being, being can experience. And I would just so deeply contemplate taking my life. But I wasn't an atheist. If I was, I, might, I may have, but at never any point in my life was I that I not believe that there was a God, and I, based on what I could understand logically, I was like, it's probably going to be the God of the Bible, if there's a God. And so I never was like an atheist, and I lived in such a dark, miserable place, and I would, but I would pray when I was like, God, I'm gonna, I, I might kill myself. But if you're anything like what I think you're like, I deserve to go to hell. And that fear of hell kept me from killing myself. But to be able to stand here today and tell you that in 18 years, I haven't even once mildly even brushed with the thought of ending my life or doing anything other than being fully alive in Christ. That's a miracle. And it's a scandal. Because where I was and the way I lived, the people that I've buried, like, <laughs> it should be me. Like, like if you consider all, for all practical consideration, statistically, it would have been me. And somehow, in the deepest and darkest, most loneliest, lost place that I was, Jesus reached down and pulled me out. Yeah. Wasn't planning on it. I was coming to this church just because of a guy I bought drugs from who had been here. And he said, you should go to this church. And I'm like, church, what? Why? <laughs> like, we got everything we need, man. We got dope. And so somehow, in the midst of it, in the darkest of my loneliest, most emptiest place of despair, he found me. Like, I wasn't really looking for him. I kind of thought I already had him. I just needed to, like, clean up my act a little bit. That's what I thought. I was like, I'm going to go to church. Go to church more, do drugs less, right? I mean, that's what a Christian does. Like, still smoke a little weed, right? I mean... That's what I mean. That's literally, literally how I thought. I thought, well, you know, it should be fine. I didn't know that he was gonna like grab me, you know, by the neck, and shake me out of whatever nonsense world of delusion that I was in. So would people be like, why, why are they laughing? Well, there, there's a reason. That's why I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
got a lot to laugh about, man. Shoot. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I mean, you're just good. God, you're good. You're good to us. So much better to us than what we thought and what it ought to be. Truly, those times of ignorance God overlooked. Truly, <laughs> I was the forgive them for they know not what they do. As I was carrying on in my life, absorbed in my own delusion, he's so good. He's really good. You know, <clears throat> I kind of knew I was going to preach, kind of. It's been a little bit ambiguous, but it's kind of mentioned to me about a month ago, I guess, and I put it on my calendar, and it was like, it was like maybe. And I was like, okay. So I didn't even really know for sure till last Sunday. Um, and then really wasn't 100% sure <laughs> until about Thursday, which is fine. Honestly, I'm free. Like, like literally right now, if my pastor was like, hey, stop, I'd stop. It wouldn't be offended. I just, that's, that's how free I am today. And so I love having that kind of relationship with my pastor. Um, and so, but as soon as I knew that I was going to be up here talking, I was like, Lord, what, 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 what? I mean, I got a lot to say. Some of it could be the Lord, too. And that's, <laughs> that helps. Okay, so it's not like I'm in, you know, poverty of words. I have them. But I was like, Lord, what, like, what's the message, you know? And, but I, I don't, I don't stress out about it or anything. Like, I did, I used to. Now I'm just like, just Lord, I, when you tell me, I'll know. And when I know, I'll know. And sometimes the Lord don't even tell you until you get up here. And then, even then, he may not even tell you until you start talking. You just don't know. But you got to be free. You got to just be like, Phew. Whatever you want to do, Lord. And uh, so I just kind of went to sleep last night. And then I woke up this morning. And I was first thought was like, i got to preach. And then I just heard this voice that was like, Jesus is the answer. Now, it wasn't like an audible, like Siri or Alexa talking to me. <laughs> it was an internalized voice. But it was just the first words that I had in my heart was, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is the only answer. Um, and I've just been thinking about that all week, you know, just meditating on that, that I don't know what's wrong with you today, maybe something, but I guarantee you Jesus is the answer. I, I mean, I don't know if you're having issues, if you are, Jesus is the answer. If you're going through some struggles, some depression, some anxiety, some worry, Jesus is the answer. If you have some sort of sickness or disease coming against you, Jesus is the answer. And it's just that simple. It's a fundamental fact that, like, the reason why Jesus stands out in history is because no promises or guarantees about the nature of any other religious figure compare to what Jesus 
is said to do, the claims that are made about him, the areas he's going to repair and fix and transform, his power to deliver people. They don't say that stuff about Muhammad. It just does, it's not there. You read it, sounds like a real upstanding religious Arab, but no promises to the degree that what Jesus will do for you, what Christ Jesus does in the life of a believer. I mean, at first, we come to him in complete humility, obviously, right? You come, you have to see Jesus as the only hope for your main problem, really your only problem. In fact, every other area after you've been born again where Jesus is delivering you and setting you free is still in the area of sin somehow, in a way. Worrying is still a sin, right? I mean, fear is a sin. Sickness is part of something that was solved by canceling the curse. So, but when we come to Jesus, we have to just see him as the solution, the answer, that we have fallen. We've broken his commands. We, don't, we are not good people. We are not holy. We are not righteous. You know, maybe you weren't smoking meth, but I guarantee you, you're just as wicked as I was. And if you don't believe that, you might still be lost. I'm just saying. So you have to see that one sin against an infinite and holy God has an infinite holy consequence that cannot be fixed by a finite being, by yourself. You can't fix that. You've transgressed. You've broken the command of God. You've offended the very heart of a holy, eternal God, the creator of everything. So you can't cover that wound by doing good. It just, it's impossible. So you see Jesus as the one answer to your sin problem and that it's a simple path to salvation. It's through one man, through one name, Jesus Christ alone. You humble yourself and you repent of everything. You repent of you. I mean, if you really, people will be like, what do you repent of? Are you repenting of every sin? I'm like, you're repenting of you. Every fiber of who you are outside of Christ is an offense to the holiness of God. You sin willfully, by omission, deliberately, by accident, and then you'll lie about all of that if you get caught. So <laughs> humans, by their very nature, sin and lie and steal, right? I mean, if you have kids, you know this, right? You really learn this with children because you have to teach them not to lie. You have to tell them it is wrong. You have to say, do not be dishonest. Don't steal. You have to teach them to be kind. It's just not natural, right? Which, thankfully, you know, my kids seem to be perfect angels most of the time in public. <laughs> so I'm always like, Lord, why is it that I don't get to know those angels at home? And then the Lord's like, because that's how it works. That's why you're doing that. Because it isn't for me, ultimately. You know, I wish my kids, was, every time I said, do this or that, they were like, yes, Dad, we love you. <laughs> we would be so honored to serve you, Father. 
fact, I just expect the no is going to come. Will you do this? No, of course not. Well, you're going to do it anyway. So, um, But it's that experience with children that is revealed, contextualized that idea that we're born into this depravity. We're born into a fallen state. Then we willfully choose to sin. And so we have a major problem, right? And Jesus is the solution. He's the only solution. And you know your problem's been solved when he saves you. And you know that you've been saved because you're born again. And you'll know you're born again really when everybody else knows. So if you're like, well, I'm born again, but nobody seems to act like believe that I am. Well, <laughs> you know, and it's never too late to, to really get born again, right? It's never too late to throw yourself on the mercy of God, ever. You could have been a good church person your whole life and been, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I've been born again, I was baptized in boiling water, or whatever you think qualifies you. And then you, you know, because it really sterilizes you and washes away the sin. Whatever you think may qualify you, it is never too late to, in humility, be like, am I born again by the Spirit? And if I'm not, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? I mean, that'd be a pretty good testimony. Better than the boiling water one. <laughs> to be like, I lived this whole life in religion and then I realized that I had not been saved, that I had never really been born again. I had never died to myself, that Je the blood of Jesus had never been applied to my account. And then it happened. You know, it's like John Wesley, who came to the Americas from England. And uh, really, he got around some real Christians um, that it messed with him. Because he was a good, holy you know, religious, liturgical, you know, priestly garment kind of guy. And then he got around the Moravians, who were just free. <laughs> I mean, you can't really just, when you read his, his testimony of what they were like, you just get this idea they were free. One particular story, they're on a boat crossing the Atlantic or something to that effect, and, and it's like, peril is is impending they're gonna die i mean it's like the ship's gonna go down and john wesley's terrified afraid just completely gripped with fear and the moravians are like praising god we love you lord you're awesome jesus right and he's like why don't i feel this way why am i so afraid to die and uh it led him to a born-again experience and he writes in his journal at one point that his heart became strangely warm and um, or something strange maybe that's my adjective but nonetheless he he felt the change in his heart and went on to do far more as a born again christian than he ever would have done for the church of england as a priest or whatever role he was walking in and so it's never too late man it's never too late you know being born again is it's what it's all about, right? I mean, I've studied a lot in secular universities and whatnot, and it's funny to listen to the way 
people talk about, and actually I've even studied with very liberal mainstream Christian people, and they they use the term born again in like a pejorative sense, like a, just a derogatory term. You know, those old born agains, those born again Christians. And I'm just like, those are called the only kind. <laughs> just hate to break it to you. So if you don't believe in the born again sense of Christianity, there's not another kind. And it's not faithful or true to the name Christian in any sense if you're not. And so it's the starting point, man. We have to be born again. Um, and you, you know, you ought to have a testimony of when it happened. And you ought to be telling people. You know, I sat down with a guy the other day, a pastor, um, great guy. And I'm not saying, I, I don't doubt his Christianity, but in our first time of sitting down together, we talked, and I was like, he's like, tell me your story. And so I'm just like, well, here's this crazy drug thing that, you know, turned into a born again thing, you know. And then it was like, boom, God changed me, you know. And his story was like, well, you know, I always kind of grew up in the church, and and I, you know, was like inclined towards Christianity, and and I, I kind of really felt like the Lord was calling me to do this. And it was like the story kind of went on for a little while, and I was just kind of like, like, when were you born again, bro? <laughs> like, I, I'm not, maybe he was, maybe, you know. You, at the same time, give a little bit of grace and mercy to some people in the Christian world because no one's telling them how important it is. <laughs> that they don't live in an environment where it's like you need to know you're born again and you need to talk about it and you need to follow leaders that know when they were born again. And so I give the guy a little bit of slack. I hope. <laughs> I mean, I hope. Um, and so like, the born again experience is like it's everything. It's the foundation. It's the point. It's the purpose. Like if we're to come through Jesus as the way to the Father, like how much more so does that put a bearing of significance on our need to be reborn by the Spirit as we come through Jesus to know the Father? Like being born again puts the re-emphasis on the birth, rebirth, the, the, the being a child of God. Being converted as a child, coming to the Father. Um, so there really isn't much more. No other important doctrine. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I, I think if we stressed this the most, and again, like I've studied with well meaning evangelicals, and they talk a lot about the doctrines that they think are the most important. And somehow, it's never all about true conversion. And it's like every other peripheral thing. And so, I'm always like, why not? Why are we not, as the church, more concerned with the one legitimizing event for every Christian? That should be the leveling of the playing field. Like, if we're not asking 
what how you view whether you're a Calvinist or Arminian or if you're a Pentecostal or if you're Baptist or what uh, none of that matters but like but have you been born again like and if you haven't that's a problem like if you have not been born again you're not in the kingdom of God if you're outside of the kingdom of God when you die you will go to hell and most people don't want to say that to people because a lot of folks have the kind of testimony that the one guy, you know, <laughs> and you're like, well, that would offend so-and-so. I'm like, well, if it's true, it should. If you haven't been born again, it should offend you. Like, you should be offended if you aren't sure where you're going to go when you die. Like, you need to be born again. Not because I say so. I, don't, I mean, I'm, at the end of the day, I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, it's not my, I'm not, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Right, so it's in there. It's important. My sermon has nothing to do with that, by the way. It has everything, but none of what I'm going to say will make any sense if you haven't come in through the born-again experience. Like if you haven't really been converted, if you haven't been born of the Spirit, your sins washed away, your nature literally made new. Like, I stand up here today as somebody who, like, my old life was destroyed in Christ somehow to where everything that was important to me, all of my affections, all of my desires, everything I thought was important, everything I wanted, everything I liked, everything I lived for, died. Everything. And here I am today, a different person, a changed person with new affections, new desires, new wants, new feelings, a tender heart. You know, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I'm not... Living in these places of, you know, when, they fir when I first came into the kingdom of God, I at the same time was also into a kingdom of recovery. And, it, and at the time, when I first got saved, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I feel like you've totally changed me. And I could just, like, not do this rehab thing. And the Lord told me, clear, like you should submit to everything. And really for me, at the time, it was about learning submission. It wasn't, I, I mean, I don't know that it was as much about what recovery programs offered me because I don't need it now. But at the time, it was like these people were in a position of authority, authority over me. I had a problem, and the Lord said, submit to them, submit to these leaders. And I did, and for several years, you know. So it brought me, you know, into the kingdom of God to get born again, and I did need a little bit of help, but they tried to tell me, well, we, we understand, sir, that you're going to need this therapy for life, and based on your situation, son, you're going to have to take these, this medication for life, and they're like, here's this maintenance medication we want you to take for your opiate addiction, here's these depressant, antidepressants, you're going to take these, okay, and then you're going to go to aftercare every week on this time for the rest of your life. And you need to go to NA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, every day for the rest of your life. Because you'll never change. You'll always be. Well, I can stand here and tell you today, I don't take no medication. <laughs> I can tell you, stand here today, I don't go to therapy. I, t I can tell you right now, don't need to go to aftercare. 
They're, as far as I know, they're still churning away 18 years later, the same time, same place. If I wanted to go down there, I could walk inside and be like, hey, everybody, help me. But today, I'm, ch- I'm a different person. And again, I'm not bragging on something I did. I'm bragging on what God did. I couldn't do that. I was, I'm, can't fix myself. I can't. No. That's, that's why I laugh. That's why I'm rolling in the floor and laughing. It's a scandal. God changed me. I've been born again. Okay, so born again. Check. So now in Christ, we have promises, right? And so the Lord just kind of put some things on my heart that I think these are things that we address or deal with that Christ Christ addressed, addresses. Let's try that again. Here's a list of things that I, th- I think we all are confronted with as Christians. It ha- I mean, it comes our way. And this is kind of a list the Lord put on my heart this morning. Being anxious, issues of poverty, sickness, trying to come your way, fear, right, and depression. Uh, now, I'm not saying you're in this any of these boats, but maybe you are. Um, and you can be in Christ and struggle in these areas. But the word God gave me this morning was that, but Jesus is the answer. Like He's the one who will fix these things. So I just want to look at a few scriptures that kind of substantiate what I'm saying here. Um, I think there are a lot of places in scripture we can look to um, that talk about what God can do, the Father, or things in the Holy with the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to kind of emphasize how, like, Christ Jesus is a particular point of solution in name. So Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I'm going to pray. Holy Ghost, we welcome you right here into the very center of this. There's not a reason in the world to do any of this without you. It doesn't add any clout to our names to carry on relig- in religious manner if you're not at the core. And so do what you want to do. Speak through us, through the word of God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Help us, Lord, Holy Ghost, to humble ourselves. That really the key to this, to the Word of God working in our lives is yielding to you and submitting in humility, stretching out our withered hand, whether it be one of anxiety, poverty, or sickness, or whatever, and admitting that you are the only answer. You are the solution. Hallelujah. So, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, very hallmark, cardy, common verse, but uh, that doesn't change its power. Um, so, it says, finally, brethren, wait, no, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, oh, wait, we should start at 6, good golly, I don't do, th- I don't do this enough, that's the problem. You know, I'm just uh, I'm a part-timer. Um, <laughs> so in verse 6, it says, 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so you've probably, if you've been listening to anything I say, you've probably heard me referencing this verse in one way or another in a lot of what I've said today, because this is really a very important verse for me, you know, like personally, I I used to struggle with anxiety. I mean, even well into my Christian life. In fact, I would say I, I probably wasn't fully aware of the anxiety I carried as a Christian until we got in revival. <laughs> so, uh, and just the way that some, all of it had just kind of melted away and the laughter and the new wine and just drinking, drinking it up. Ha, ah, so good. And just like not being worried about church anymore, not being worried about what people are saying about us, <laughs> you know, like not being worried about what people are going to think about me. Oh, all my good friends, they like they used to be so nice to me and now they're not nice anymore. And what are they going to think about me? And then all that just sort of melts it away. It's just like, you just sort of see like this like new wine kind of washing over you and just sort of taking the anxiety and the worry down into the gutter, and it's gone. And um, you know what I like about this verse is it talks about it surpassing understanding. Like in Christ, Jesus is the answer to your anxiety. Everyone in the world and a lot of people in the church will tell you, no. You need to take medicine. You need to go to a doctor. You need to go to a therapist. And you have, <laughs> and you you how do you, and how do you how do you argue with them? You know, when I people say this stuff, I'm like, like, maybe that's a kind of way. But if I really tell you the truth about what did it for me, it's not gonna make sense to you. <laughs> You're not gonna understand that Jesus takes it can take it away. Like, you're not going to grasp at all that Jesus will deliver you from anxiety. Like, it won't make any sense. And, you know, there's this whole, you know, movement out there. God bless these people. But, and they're all like, you know, Jesus had an anxiety attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm like, he was about to die for the sins of the world. Like his best friends were asleep in the other corner of the garden. His people were going to reject him. He knew for the first time in his life the father was going to turn his back on him. If you got problems like that, then you are welcome. I'll give you a pass. Feel free to have an anxiety attack. Feel free to justify it. He he didn't just have an anxiety attack. He sweat blood. It was a physiological response to the weight of his situation. But he went to the cross. And good news, like, he's sitting in heaven right now, and he doesn't seem too worried about it anymore. 
In fact, if anything, we should say he endured it so that I don't have to. If anything, he took the, the weight and the worry and the anxiety and he took it to the cross so that I don't have to carry it. Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Woo, that was for me. Hallelujah. And so, <laughs> man. <laughs> Remember we used to sit up here and we'd sing for hours. No worries, no worries, no worries. Good times. You know, because like everything is in Christ, everything is all right. And if, if you're not experiencing that, start with believing that everything in Christ is all right. Repent of your unbelief. Believe it. That, that's the first place, which is where we come back to stretching out that withered hand, right? I mean, it's like admit, like, I got problems. I can't fix them. But Jesus can, and so help me, Jesus. Like, I get it. I mean, like I said, anxiety tries to come my way. See, for me, though, anxiety is kind of weird. With the, the kind of anxiety that comes my way today in life, I just want to, like, abandon, like, everything. Not my family. Everything. Usually that's the thing. Is like, I just, like, maybe I just won't work anymore for these people that are paying me. <laughs> like, I get to a point where I'm just like, like I just don't want to do this. Like, and I'm like, maybe I'll just ghost and see what happens, you know, which I've done before. But then I'm like, and, but I, the Lord's like, no. And I always come back to this prayer, and I'm like, God, if you called me to do it, then there's grace for it. If you didn't call me to do it, then there'll be no grace for it. And so sometimes you have to evaluate things in your life and think, like, if there's just literally no grace on this and all it does is wear me out, then maybe God didn't call me to do this and I should let it go. Right. Christianity 101, dude. Right. Like we've been, we know that. So for me, I have to stop and, and then I tune all that stuff out and I just remember, like, well, what if you said to do it, then I'm going to do it. And so anxiety goes. I just cast my cares on the Lord. Um, but it won't make sense. That kind of that level of, of casting off anxiety, you know, being anxious for nothing. It's not, not going to make no sense. Nobody's going to understand that. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it does make sense. It's a supernatural work of grace. And you don't have access to grace if you're not born again. But if you're born again, you've got all you need. More. More than you need. And so if you are experiencing any anxiety today about anything, be like, Lord, if this is what you called me to do, I receive the abundance of grace to do it. Yeah. Right? And then if the situation just absolutely doesn't change, maybe you need to fire some people from your payroll. First yeah. um, Peter. Chapter 5, 
I think James also echoes this same principle here, but First um, Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So, again, I think yielding to God in humility, admitting you got issues, knowing that Jesus is the solution, that he's the answer, and if you're born again, you've got access to the grace, that it's a matter of humbling yourself before God and saying, Lord, help me. Like, and it's not like a, prayer is a, a weird thing, right? Because sometimes you're like, Lord, help me. And then he's like, you know what to say, <laughs> right? And you're like, well, help me. And he's like, I'm giving you my word, man. You know what to say. And then you turn it around. And you're like, instead of being like, God, help me, you're like, no, the word of God says that I have the mind of Christ. That I cast my cares on the Lord because he cares for me. I won't be anxious for anything. And you begin to profess and confess and declare the word of God over your life. Your situation changes. It transforms. It's, it, and again, especially in the area of things like anxiety, it don't make no sense. It don't make no sense why we... Again, I'm like, if, if therapy could achieve 10% of what the word of faith can do in your life. They'd be successful. But it don't work. It does it <laughs> But what you're able to con to gain by confessing the word of God in faith that there's a power in that word to transform your life, to transform your situation. And then you got to deal with all the Christians that'll say that's heresy. I'm like, how is the faith in the word that's a heresy? Explain that one to me. The same thing like, well, that Holy Ghost stuff, that's a sin. Okay, explain to me how God is bad, right? I'm not following that part. Another thing that's amazing, though, in Christ, and one thing I've learned in revival, I think, more than anything else, is that, like, you don't have to care what people say. You just don't. Like, I used to get, get my blood would just get so boiling. I mean, I gotta, I gotta tell these people. What for, you know? You know, I, I just, I really, you know, as a blessing to you, I release you. You don't have to care what anybody else in, in the body of Christ thinks about another part of the body of Christ. You just literally don't. People say things, they're like, blah, 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 and this and that, and I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, good for you, right? Because I'm actually, like, looking at you and thinking, like, if you believe some of this stuff, like, you'd be a happier person. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying, like, if you, which I always think, uh, some, I think it was Paul Washer who said this, uh, which he's not openly Pentecostal in any way. But you kind of wonder, like, oh, man, might have a little prayer language or something we don't know about. So he's got a fire that you just don't see. So I'm, I wonder. Uh, but he also has an edge that can only come from the Calvinist tradition. I mean, Calvin burned a man at the stake, Servanus, okay? And, like, didn't apologize. <laughs> so you get, I think there's like a, and I won't get into all that, but I, I do think there's like almost a spirit of Calvinism that you could root back into the historical tradition of how Calvinism and how John Calvin was. Anyway, 
I really wish I didn't go down that road. <coughs> but um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> one time Paul Washer was like addressing kind of an, a mixture of people, and I think there were some Pentecostals in the room, and, and he basically was like, you know, some of you would do well if you just maybe did pray in the spirit. <laughs> like you maybe you would, a lot of you in here would actually benefit if you prayed in tongues. And there's, there's some truth to that. So you, when people have a problem with the whole Pentecostal thing, they tend to be kind of people that you think, well, you'd probably be a happier person if you spent some time praying in tongues. If you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'd have more joy. Like if you're just angry, if you think your role as a Christian is to just be angry and like yell at other Christians for rolling on the floor and laughing and, and saying how much they love God, like maybe you need to roll on the floor a little bit. <laughs> maybe it'd do you well to roll a little bit back and forth here and loosen up, you know, Pri cry a little, laugh a little, get some, you know, cry it out. I mean, that's how it was for me in revival. It was like crying out my angry doctrinal thing. I'm, it was like crying and laughing. And I, I have this, like, if you, if you ask me, you're like, well, like, sum up your experience of revival, especially in the, the days of the nightly meetings. If I was, one image just sticks out in my mind, and it didn't happen, it happened in my mind. It was me and the Holy Spirit were like, like two drunk people. And I had my arm over him, and he had his arm over me, and he's like, it's like if you ever hung out with a friend and they're like, remember that time? Like we did this. And it was like that, but all the stories were cringe stories. All the stories were like embarrassing religious stories that of things I did, that like th opinions I had or feelings I had or doctrinal obsessions I had. And you're like, remember that time? Like, yeah, that's great. He's like, you believe that? I know, I was so stupid. You're great, I love you. You know, so that, when, uh, that was revival for me. Just all of that tension, anxiety, and worry, and anger, and bitterness just kind of washed away. The new wine just kind of washed it down, down the street into the gutter, you know. But it don't make no sense. I mean, I, I, I don't know how. I don't know. You know, it's a scandal. God is good. So maybe anxiety comes your way. Maybe poverty tries to come your way. Um, which pover poverty is a weird thing, man. Because it's, it literally has almost has nothing to do with what you actually have like it can be that infectious that manipulative that it creeps into your thinking and somehow you'll you'll start to think you, like you've got money in the bank you've got stuff you've you're you're actually not doing bad but somehow a fear like a little seed will get in there and it'll start working in your mind and you'll be like Oh my gosh, I don't know how we're going to make it. It's always the most irrational, like out of left field, nonsensical absurdity that'll come your way. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We're going to be on the street, living in a box. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. And it, I mean, and that, that's, well, you know, and I mean, it takes me a lot longer to say that than it does for me to have the thought. 
right? The thought takes literally a second. But I know, as a Christian, especially believing what I believe, I take that sucker captive, <laughs> you know? I'm like, no! But it's, but it's funny how out of reality, it's not even, it doesn't even make sense because it's not true. It's a lie, right? Like I heard somebody say the other day, and uh, it gives a little bit of perspective. I won't tell you who said it, because then you judge me. But when they said it, they said they weren't going to tell the person they were telling who said it. So for whatever reason, this famous person didn't want to be judged about who they were quoting. But anyway, it said like some two billion people in the world live on a dollar a day. And at least half of those people are happy. I quote that just to point out that you can find meaning and happiness with nothing, which points out the absurdity that somehow when you are prospered and you have something, a thought can enter your mind that makes no sense in the world that tries to scare you into thinking that you're going to end up on the street. Yeah. Right? So... Really, it comes down to where you have your eyes fixed, you know. Should be on heaven, not the things below. But anyway, not everybody even believes in poverty. Or being, well, actually, <laughs> they do, actually. Not everybody <laughs> believes in prosperity. And that, to me, is confusing. But even the people who say they don't believe in prosperity, they believe in prospering by their own hand, right? Like, John MacArthur's net worth is in the millions. And he complains about prosperity. So you're like, bro, like, did you type that on your iPhone? You know, it's like, you're not hurting. Right? But, but the, the argument is kind of like, well, as long as I take credit for it, you know, then it's, it's noble, it's virtuous, and it's, you know, people should applaud for me. Look how well he's done without God. He did all that just in his own, the sweat of his own brow. Pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. Good for him. People like that. But then if you say, man, I take no credit for any of this. God made me a millionaire. I got two G classes in the driveway. I live in a $30 million mansion. And it's all God. God did it, every bit of it. And they're like, heretic. How dare you blaspheme the name of God. You're like, come on. Which we've been reading through the Bible with my kids, which is a great experience. Um, Atlas is old enough now. He likes it. He listens. Sparrow's learning. Uh, but it's, it's fun. And just going back through the Old Testament again, I'm kind of like, how can you not see that God's ultimate plan is to prosper his people? Like, how could you read anything else? Yeah, bad stuff happens, but the ultimate goal, the overarching theme, the foundational underpinning truth about the nature and heart of God is that he wants his people to succeed and prosper. Like, how, do we, how can we read it any other way? It's absurd. People say, well, what about Job? I'm like, well, flip to the end. Go read that last part. Said he had more than he had when he started. Now, you know, hopefully better with family. It was maybe a little better, whatever. You know, poor guy lost some people. But 
I mean, I would imagine if God's replacing you with more kids and all that stuff, they'd have to have been better. You know, he's probably like, you know, I'm glad you listen. <laughs> your, your brother, man, he was phew, trouble. But thank God he, Lord taketh and the Lord giveth. So, but you have to have an eyes wide shut hermeneutic, as they say in the, the smart world, to read the Bible and not see that. Like, to not see that, like, God's ultimate plan and goal is for us to prosper. And he guarantees it in a blood covenant on the only person that's ever walked this earth who could guarantee that level of covenant, and that's Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And again, it's all grace. Hallelujah. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And then people want to say, they're talking, he's talking about spiritual riches. I'm like, yeah, because Paul didn't know the word spiritual, you know. He just forgot it that day when he was writing. He's like, there was something I was going to put in there. What was it? Uh, we'll just leave it. No. If Paul wanted to imply spiritual riches there, he would have said it. He was a pretty smart, inspired author. He knew what he was doing. And so Jesus guarantees our prosperity. It's a blood covenant that he's the answer. If you're struggling with your finances today, the easiest thing to do is start there believing that, like, your prosperity is something Jesus died for. Meaning that your poverty is thus a sin. It doesn't please God. It doesn't honor him. Start there. I mean, that's the easiest place. Begin with the humility of admitting, well, I haven't believed that. I'll start today. And then, I mean, honestly, if you're not a tither, why? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, but why aren't you? I mean, why wouldn't you? Like, if it worked. Now, <laughs> there's enough people out there, like a lot, like a lot of people that'll tell you it works. Like, too many. Too, so many. Like, again, you'd have to, like, ignore billions of people throughout history who were like, oh, yeah, that totally works. Like, every time. Like, God rebukes the devourer. Like, every dime from every dollar goes to him. It's like money just started showing up. People I've met in my life who, when I met them, they didn't tithe. Some folks in my church back in the day. And I was like, well, you know what? Start tithing. They're like, well, we really don't have the money. I'm like, well, you have a percentage. So I'm not going to explain how math works to you. You have it. Give it to God. <laughs> okay. And then they did, and they started saying things like, you know, the craziest thing, like, we got, we got like two, two letters in the mail. People sent us money randomly. It's never happened in our life. And I was like, kind of works, man. I'm just saying it really, really works. So I think this verse in the New Covenant, guarantees an old, 
pre-law covenant, for sure, even more so than it was true for the people of Israel. I think we could say it just as much today. People say, oh, you're following the old covenant. I'm following a covenant that happened before there was law, and if God doesn't change, he'll honor his covenants. Because if he wanted to make an explicit statement that I no longer honor pre-Old Testament law covenants, it'd be in, it would be in the New Testament. So you start with believing like, well, Jesus, through his poverty, died that I might become rich. It's a grace that can be afforded to me. Well, then you have to think, well, where else in Scripture does it talk about giving? Then you go to the Old Testament and you do see the instructions for tithing. It's like, well, snap, let's do that one. I want those promises too. Oh, you can give seeds and sow and reap? Well, snap, I'm going to do that too. And it just works. I don't know why. It shouldn't. It shouldn't work. There you go. There's the truth. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Why? How does it work? I don't know. Because it works because God's word says it will work. And that if you have faith, it pleases God. And things begin to happen when you believe the word of God and you act accordingly. Like, it's a biblical principle that that would be the truth. So, if you are in today worried about money, struggling financially, remember, Jesus is the answer to that too. Amen. That through his poverty, you, what's that word? Age, might. So, it's up to you to figure out. <laughs> whether or not it will. It's not his, he's not putting the condition on his actions. He's already finished. He sat down. And if you want to see it happen, you've got to believe that, well, if it's not happening, then I'm the problem with the might here, and I can change that by believing the Word of God and acting accordingly. Um, let's go a little over here in Acts 9. Now, I don't uh, put a lot of faith in the uh, added headings in Bibles because they're not inspired. They're put there by the compilers, translators of the Bible you're reading. But who else has NK NKJV in here? Anybody? What is the heading over verse 31 in chapter 9? <laughs> There you go, man. The church prospers. So, you know, people want to say, oh, they don't need all that prosperity stuff. Well, some people thought that enough to say that this is about that. So let's read it and kind of get a feel here. Verse 31, chapter 9 says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And so there's such a truth here of submitting to God, living in this place of peace, multiplication, living in this comfort of the Holy Spirit, walking in the fear of the Lord, that in that we will find edification, multiplication, or as they saw fit to 
translate or infer that we'll prosper. Um, but really, I wanted to look at uh, verse 32 as it relates to healing. Verse 32 says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. That's a fun name. Don't name your kid Lyd Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. But I like the, that one part there. Jesus, the Christ, heals you. I don't know about you, but last Sunday was like mind-blowing, life-transforming, changed my perspective on a lot of things. Um, you know, for me, I struggled with a back thing um, for almost 18 years. And that, so that, that stuck out to me on Sunday because Pastor said that in one of the scriptures. And he was referring to the lady with the blood issue, but it wasn't Shirley, right? It was the other. Anyway, so it was like an issue, probably 18 years. Yeah, been over, right. So when he said that, I was like, I've had a back problem for about 18 years. And honestly, it's gotten worse when it's happened. Uh, in fact, David saw me recently when it was like, I mean, embarrassing level, crippled. Like, I couldn't walk. I mean, it was the worst it's ever been. But I, in those, it, when I get that way, I'm always like, well, screw it, I don't care, we're going anyway. So, <laughs> so I'm like walking around like, ah. Uh, just because I'm like, well, the last thing I want to do is lay at home and be miserable. So I get up and I go and I still try to function normally, which isn't easy. Anyway, and so last week when we when you talked about that, it just really, I mean, it was like, phew, I saw that situation in that way, and I've just, all week, I've just been binding that devil, like treating it like a devil. Whatever it is that's causing it, I speak to it every day. I'm like, no, in the name of Jesus. Every day I say, it ends today. It's over. No more. It's not coming back. There's no cycle, no recurrence. It's not, no. It's, it's over, it ends, and <laughs> I'm doing that without any problems, right? So, but what I will say is different is that there's like a fire on it. And so, I just want to encourage you, if you've had something in your life that's been reoccurring like that, you've, and you, like, like, take pastor's word at that. I think there's just an anointing on that, what he said to like treat it like it's a devil, rebuke that sucker every day, like, and mean it, right? <laughs> like, tell that thing, right? So, my life is just in the last seven days has been different in that regard, and then in some other areas too, where I feel like I've had some health, I don't say issues, but health-related things that I'm going to treat it that way. Like, no more struggles in that area. We're not doing that anymore. It's not going to work. It's over. Devil, you got to go. 
Because the, the foundational truth here is Jesus Christ heals you. I mean, and how much more so for us in Christ? How much more so for us as believers and as children of God to believe that Christ heals you? That is his, that is his name. He's the healer, right? I mean, we looked at all those great verses about God and Jehovah Rapha and, you know, like Psalm 103, right? Three, that he's the God who heals all our diseases. Like, that's God's name. Like, how can we think of it in some weird way? Like, when people are like, well, God doesn't heal today. It's like, oh, God changed his name? So he just doesn't, he's just like, that'd be like saying, like, like I'm not Andrew anymore. Right? Well, oh, I used to be Andrew, but I'm not anymore. Like, that would be weird if a human did that. How much more would it be weird if the eternal God who never changes changed one of his names? He's still the healer. He still heals us. All diseases. All sickness. He's for us. He's not against us. And if you are sick, he ain't mad at you. He loves you. But he wants the best for you. He wants to see you come out of that. He wants to see health and wellness and vitality and vigor in your life. Because, man, I got to live another 60 years, right? And so I've been thinking about that lately. I'm like, I'm always confessing I'm going to live to be 100. I'm going to live to be 100. And this is challenging watching my parents age, who are like over 80 now. And they're like, they're like making plans. They're weird, though. They're just weird. They're weird. They're like planning to die every day. And I'm just like, okay, all right. You know? um, and my mom was like, do you think you'll be around in blah, blah, blah years? And I was like, mom, I'm going to live to be 100. And she's like, you say that. I was like, yeah, I say that. I say that and I believe it. I'm going to live to be 100. Why would I say anything else? Why? Why? Why in the world would you, I plan to check out about 65, you know, my dad had cancer, so I figure I'll get it as well. No, no, I'm going to live to be 100, and you've got promises for more years in scripture if you want it, but I'm always like, well, I got to live another 60 years, I'm only 42, about to be 43, plus or minus, yeah, I don't do math good, but what about, about, about 60 years, and they have to be healthy years. They just have, absolutely have to be healthy years. And if I'm having a back issue every six months for the last 18 years, I'm not doing that until 100. No. And so we got to be healthy. Like, we just have to be healthy. And we're now we're moving into these, moving into the end times. Like, you say that, like, but you, you, we are. You know, like, you think it's, like, kind of funny, like, but then you're like, but I think we are. Like, we really are moving into, like, a strange time, and I don't have any hope whatsoever in the world that it'll get better, that we haven't seen the worst of anything, that we're just sort of, like, picking at the wound that is going to eventually fester, um, and we're seeing it in the global world. In fact, I'll honestly, honestly say, about a week ago, I, turned, I, got, I had to get off social media. It was driving me literally insane. And I, it was making me worried and anxious. Not even that, like, like I cared as much. I wasn't like worried about, but I felt like I needed to know. 
I need to know what they're saying about that. I need to know what they're saying about that. What's up with Elon Musk? What did James Bell say? What is it? And I'm just like, who cares? You know, like, it's like I found so much peace just being like, I don't care, man. I don't care. It's just making me worried. It's making me stressed. And I'm like, my hope is in Jesus. I put all my faith and trust in God, that he's leading me into all truth. And whether I'm on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, it doesn't matter because I'm plugged into the Holy Ghost. And he's going to tell me what I need to know. He's going to be my peace and my comfort. And I don't even need to know what Dave Spell said anyway. You know, he's vile. He needs to get right with God. So. Which kind of, you know, they, they, they kind of tricks it, trick you, you know? Because, like, if you, like, 10 years ago, all of these people, I'd be like, I'm not, I wouldn't dare listen to anything Bill Maher has to say. He hates God, and I wouldn't listen to what this guy over here has to say. And, uh, and, but then it's like, somehow, in the, in the way things have shifted politically, it's like I find myself listening to a lot of these guys, and I'm like, well, he does make a very good point about freedom of speech. And uh, yes, true, but at the end of the day, our, we have to put all of our faith and trust in God. Like, any hope we have isn't, isn't going to be in politics. Now, again, I'm interested in politics. I vote. I pay attention. I know what's going on. But you literally see these people that are consumed with it. And it makes me sick. It makes me sick to see how the right talks about the left. It makes me sick to see how the left talks about the right. And you're just like, and you, and both of them kind of make sense. That's what's weird, you know? Like, I don't know, some people are like, well, I won't listen to anything on the left. Well, I kind of do just because I need to know what they're saying. And they're making points. And I'm like, yeah, that is kind of hypocritical of them over there. And then you see what they're saying. I'm like, yeah, they are godless child eaters. You're right. And then the. <laughs> And then Kanye West, God help us. <laughs> I love the man. I love some of the music. We're going to let this one pan out, though. All right. And I just found out about that by accident, which I kind of thought maybe the Lord was calling me away so that I didn't even, because that would have been really taking me down some trails that I just didn't want to go down with it. <sighs> So 2 Timothy 1.7, I got uh, two more verses after this, and then I'll leave you alone. So 2 Timothy 1.7. Wait, I was like, there's not seven. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Fear is a real thing, man. Fear will creep up on you. Fear is irrational. It'll make you afraid to like do things to make take action but when you actually take the action there's like literally no fear in it so it's funny so you'll be paralyzed by a fear about doing something that'll be so crippling and paralyzing that like you like well I'm not gonna do it then 
but then you do it and then it's like totally cool <laughs> and you're like well that was stupid why was i because fear is irrational it doesn't doesn't make sense it's intended to the spirit of fear is intended to keep you quiet to shut you up to sit you down to make you think you're not good enough that you're not nothing you have nothing to say that people aren't going to like you people are going to judge you people are going to hurt you and they probably will <laughs> but courage isn't like the complete absence of fear right taking courage is acting in the face of fear regardless and you know i would say like of some of the most important things that i've learned in this church by my pastor is to not be afraid like if i think back over all the years just the you know like especially the story of like here first time hearing like pastor say i think it was like a part in the building i think corinth told the same story um when he preached last time but <coughs> it stuck with me all these years that it's like a part place in your house or in your room or in the building where you're afraid you just like go walk right into that place and you're like no <laughs> i will not be afraid i stand against this the lord has not given me a spirit of fear right like i learned that i grew up as an adult i don't know a lot of you maybe had better opportunities but i didn't start growing up till i stopped doing drugs i mean that's that's true scientifically my brain was underdeveloped. I basically started using when I was 13, and I used almost literally every day of my life until I was 25. So I basically started life at 25 for the first time, where everyone else had had a jump, maybe from 18. I was starting off with a 13-year-old mentality and emotional level. So I had to grow up in public, knowing, <laughs> being aware that like I didn't process everything the same way everyone did. Got really offended, got really upset, got really insecure, very nervous, basically reverting back to my 13-year-old emotional mindset. Um, and so I learned the tools of how to overcome that in this church, how to deal with those issues of fear. And I was gripped with fear. I was so afraid that I'd blown it. So afraid that I would never succeed. So afraid that I'd live at home forever. <laughs> you know, so afraid, you know, I mean, at 25 and I'm homeless, literally. Like, I didn't have anywhere to live. My parents let me live at their house, but when you're 25 and you live in, uh, in your, on your mom's couch, they taught me in rehab, <laughs> that means you're homeless. Which I was like, what? No, I live with my mom. They're like, you're 25 years old. A lot of people have families and a mortgage, 25. And you're completely broke, no job, and you live on your mom's couch. That's homeless. They were being kind, extending a place to stay to me. And if you live on your mom's couch, I am judging you. <laughs> Just kidding. I've been there. Um, but I, had, I, mean, I grew up learning these teachings about being bold i had no one in my my whole life i was taught to run from conflict that's the way i was raised and i hated my dad for that like i really despised it because he would be like no matter what you don't ever fight anyone which i tell my kids now i'm like 
you, you seek peace, okay? But I'm just saying, if there ain't a way out, you're going you to have to stand your ground. You're going to have to fight. And no one told me that. So my whole life, I ran from conflict. I ran from adversity. I ran from that. I was afraid. I was fearful. And so I tried to overcompensate by trying to act tough or look tough. Um, but I was just so, so scared. And it was in Christianity. It was in this church. It was in the Word of God that I learned that, like, Jesus wasn't a wuss, you know? <laughs> that, like, I don't have anything to be afraid of. That, like, death has no hold on me. Death, where is your sting? Right? I loved it so much I wrote a song about it. You've heard it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's like... For some, especially for me, someone who had struggled with suicidal thoughts and like wanting to die, but being so afraid of death at the same time, it was just torture to live that way. To be like, I hate being alive, but I'm scared to die because if any of that stuff I've heard my whole life is true, I'm going straight to hell. Won't pass go. Won't pa collect $200. I'm going to burn. And I knew that. Um, but then in when I got born again, it's, I don't know, it's like this strange thing overcame me, you know, right away. It's something that I initially was shocked by, but I lost the fear of death. I mean, I, I was no longer afraid to die. Um, I had a life of growing in Christ, working out the, all the, the kinks of all the other fears I had. Um, and I'm not done yet. And I don't know that you ever arrive. You know, I'm not going to stand here today and tell you that I don't, rational fear doesn't try to come against me, because it does. I just know the solution now. And I know how to handle it. I know how to take those thoughts captive. I know how to crush them under my feet. I know how to declare the word of God. Okay? You know, like we go into Nuevo Laredo, like, to preach the gospel in the, mid, in the height of the cartel war. And being like, I'm scared. But I know I have a word. I know the Lord said to go down there. And I was just like gripped with fear. In fact, one of the guys was going to go with me. He was like, yeah, let's do it. Tough guy, big guy. And I was like, yeah, we're going to go hardcore. We're going to preach the gospel. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he come back a few days later. He's like, my, my wife said I can't go. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean your wife said you can't go? He's like, oh, it's dangerous down there. There's cartel war. I was like. Yeah, there's a cartel war. Of course. But then that got in my head. He didn't go, but it got in my head. You know, and I had my moments where I was just like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? So we're stupid. This is stupid. We're literally going to die. We're going to go down there. And then we get down there, and the front page of the newspaper in the local Laredo paper shows these people hanging decapitated from the pedestrian bridge. Front page. I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. <laughs> what? I'm like, Lord, what are you thinking? Why? Why would you send us to here to die? I felt like people in the desert with Moses. We were safe in Egypt. Why? They had gold and food. So, but then I was like, all right, Lord, well, <laughs> you haven't given me a spirit of fear. And so I'm going to walk head face first into this. And we just went right in there. Get down there. 
They're having a local little celebration. These little kids are dancing on stages. And it's like military police have surrounded the area. It's super safe, a little parade, clowns, balloons. I'm like, there's nothing going on here. <laughs> I mean, this is totally like safe. And we got down there and we handed out tracts. We talked to people about Jesus, preached the gospel. It was really fruitful, really successful. And then we died. No, <laughs> we did not die. We got out. The fear about going was irrational, which the whole time I'm down there, I'm thinking of this other guy, and I'm like, my wife said I can't go. What, you scared of clowns? I mean, what, you, <laughs> what, what, what? You, this isn't dangerous. I mean, it was dangerous, don't get me wrong. But it was, in the natural, the absolute safest it could have possibly been, and I thought, God is that good. He will protect you. He will take care of you. If he said to go, you go. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're immune to the fear trying to creep in, but you stand on the word and you trust him and you just go anyway. I mean, how many people left this church because we did missions? And they were big talkers. They were the loudest on the street corner. And then you're like, you're going to go to Finland. And they're like, (gasps) I could, what? I could never. And then you're like, you're going to be all right. You know. And then, you know, thank God we have a pastor who believes what he preaches. Because I'm thinking, I'm hearing the story, I'm like, you wouldn't want to tell wherever he was doing whatever he was doing. I don't know. But the devil did try to kill him. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't die. So you probably wouldn't want to tell that story to people that you're like, well, now if the devil does try to kill you, you better be sure you got faith and you stay on the word of God. We're going to the nations, but you might die over there. Though the devil might try to kill you. But you have to be like, you know what? Whether I live or die. I mean, I remember when we were flying to Thailand. Folks in the back went with me. Uh, Jacob. We... Uh, went on this long, grueling flight. And there was this, like, hour of turbulence, which was scary. Like, nothing I've ever experienced. I mean, it was like, you were like, boom, 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 for an hour. I mean, we're on, like, a 12-hour flight, so that's not even that long compared to the whole flight, but for an hour. And then I got to a point where I was like, I kind of just wish we would die. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I'm not going to lie. Like, this is so bad. Like, I'm going to throw up. I would rather... We should just just take the plane down. This is terrible. But I remember thinking in that, I was like, first I was like, this is a little bit scary. And then I thought, well, Lord, you told us to go. And I know that I have that word. So I'm not going to be afraid of dying, going to do something you called me to do. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a bumpy ride. But we're going to get there. And it's going to happen. Praise God. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. And so uh, we will not be afraid. So the last point I want to discuss, and then we'll wrap things up here. I've kind of skirted with, oh, thank you, son. Thanks. He said, okay. Um, the <laughs> it's just this, something I've touched on is depression, right? Because it does, does want to creep in. 
Um, I will say, over these last years of revival, there's been a major work of deliverance in that area, just in the overall atmosphere. Um, but again, Jesus is the answer. Like, he, like, and again, I, I get depression. <laughs> I actually was a candidate, if you will, to be diagnosed as a somebody with a clinical depression or some sort of bipolar thing. And, uh, and I get trauma. I understand. Like, I, I actually really understand. Like, I have things in my life that happened 30 years ago that I could just be, like, laying down to go to bed, and then it's like, boom, I'm right back there. And the the pain is real. The Just the grief is real. The fear is all-encompassing. You know, and, and people will tell you, like, oh, well, that's like post-traumatic stress disorder or something. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it is, you know. Um, and it'll come, like, right on me. And it's like I'm 13 years old again, and I'm afraid, and I'm lost, and I'm cowering, and I'm hurt, and I'm broken. So I understand. <laughs> like... I don't stand up here today and tell you, like, well, I've lived a life so completely free of trauma and misery and pain and heartache, because that's not true. And when that stuff comes, now I'm just like, well, thank you, Lord, that I know who I am today. And that's not who I am. And I thank you, Lord, that you are for me and you're not against me. And even in those moments, uh, sometimes I turn to the devil. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. It happened. It's what it is. Yeah, I should be screwed up. I should be totally, I should have died already of a overdose. I should have already taken my life because of the guilt and the shame and the misery. You're right. But you know what? I didn't. You lose. I win. <laughs> okay. And there's still very real feelings there. Still very real emotions that are too heavy that I wouldn't wish upon a single person in this world that are that's still part of where I came from and how I grew up. But today, <laughs> I have so much joy, so much peace that doesn't make any sense that you don't get outside of Jesus. You fight your whole life to try to find it some other way, and you never will. You will you, that pain, that kind of trauma, that kind of misery, some of you have probably experienced yourself, it doesn't go away. You need a supernatural work of God, a work of Jesus to take it, to heal it, to give you a new identity, to give you peace in the midst of pain and suffering and turmoil, to give you joy that doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you what, no one can take that joy from you when you get it. No one can strip you of that peace once you find it. 
You don't need a doctor. You don't need a prescription for helping you with the issue. You've got something that is supernaturally given to you by God that no one else can touch. And so, I got reasons to be depressed. I mean, I do. Could. Many of you in this room do too. But it's a choice today for me. Either I be the victim of my past or be the victor that I am in Christ Jesus and receive the abundance of grace to overcome those feelings of depression, misery, heartache, grief, etc. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, don't misread that, that Jesus is saying, they're there, you know. Oh, you're mourning. Oh, let me come alongside and mourn with you. Let me share in your grief. He's talking about comfort. Comfort isn't like, they're there, it's going to be okay. It's like, it's like, here's the solution. It's, be- it's okay. You're going to make it. You're all right. Lift your head up. Put your eyes on Jesus. Receive the abundance of joy and grace that God has for your life. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and, and pour out through you in the place of joy and laughter and happiness. That it's not God's ultimate will for us to stay in mourning or depression or darkness or gloom. That's not what He wants for us. And if you're in that place today, you're blessed because there's comfort given to you only through Jesus, not promised to you any other way, that what God can do in your life in in the area of depression, He does it through the work of Jesus on the cross. And you can receive it. But it's like, just like facing fear, sometimes you have to face depression. You know, I think of a time in my life when there was a very dark cloud over me and my wife after a miscarriage. And, well, there was one, the first one, which is still, like, too hard for me to even think about, okay? Like, I just... Again, it's, it's that place where when that feeling comes, I'm like, Lord, I still give you all the glory. <laughs> like, take my life, fill me with the joy. Like, come into that place right there. Like, it's still a wound and I still need you there. Like, it's that kind of pain. But then the second time, we had a second miscarriage. And, uh, and I remember it came, this, it's that same feeling tried to come back. And I was like, I just remember... I was like, no, the devil took from us, but he is not going to steal our joy. And I told my wife, I said, we're not going to go down that road. I said, we're going to have peace. We're going to have joy. We're not going to be depressed. We're not going to be in misery and grief. Because that mess is hard, y'all. That mess sucks. (laughs) Okay? I ain't going to lie. And so... Just like you have to face fear, 
sometimes you have to turn right into the face of depression and grief, and you just say, no, not today. We don't do it that way. That's not how it's going to go down. I know who I am in Christ. I know that he loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. I know my identity. I will stand in confidence. I will stand in joy. I will stand in peace. And it, don't ha and it won't make no sense. <laughs> I mean, it, it just won't. It totally defies logic. But it works. The word of God is powerful in that way. I don't know how other than he says it is, and it works. So there you go. Last verse, John. Let's see, John 16. Twenty-three and twenty-four. And this is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit and what he will do uh, when he comes. But he says, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And then verse 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full and so I just want to say, like, if you're in this place today and you've struggled with any kind of depression, have you asked the Father to deliver you? He promises us that the Holy Spirit will do it, that he will make your joy full. He gives us a promise that if we ask, that he'll fill us with joy. And so it's, it starts there that Jesus is the answer. Now, he's not down here walking around with us anymore. He's sent the Holy Spirit, whose ultimate job is to work joy in our <laughs> who <laughs> will give us joy. <laughs> That we'll be happy, happy, happy. <laughs> that it's the solution. It's the solution to your depression. It's the solution to your problem. That the joy of the Lord, <laughs> it's good. It's really, really, really good. But we got to yield. You have to yield. You have to drop your defenses. Let your walls down. Stretch out your withered hand. Pick up your mat. You got to walk right into the goodness of God and receive the joy. That the joy is the answer. We got to have it. The new wine, the double portion. Make it make it a double for your trouble. Pour it out, God. Rivers of living water. The joy is the answer. Shikaba surumba thank you holy ghost for the joy the joy that was set before jesus when he went to the cross that we get the same anointing the oil of gladness 
Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing to be worried about. There's nothing to be anxious about. There's nothing to be fearful over. There's nothing to, to fret. There's nothing to get sad over. That any, any suffering or pain is fleeting. Anything that comes our way is just a speck in the grand scheme of eternity. So we thank you for the joy that washes over us, God. Thank you for the joy. We got the joy, 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 joy down in our heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in, come on, help me sing it. Down in my heart to stay. What's the key? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Well, we did it. I don't think we ever quite went all the way there. But we did just sing it. <laughs> and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack. Sit on attack. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack today. God is good. Come on. We got so much more to be happy about. So much more to be ecstatic and full of joy in life that we're going to live a long life we're just getting started this is only the beginning there's more waves of revival to come there's more peace that will abound understanding more miracles more nations more callings more businesses more millionaires healthy people walking out their life in the calling of god without apology without fear doing what God said to do, going to the places God said to go. We've got a lot to be happy about in this place. This isn't the end. This is just the beginning. We're just getting started. we got decades to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God forever. If the Lord's done something good in your life, give Him a shout. Give Him a dance. Tell Him how good He is. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name forever, God. There's nobody like you, Lord. No one. No one like you, God. You're good. You're holy. You're just. You're wonderful. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Woo. Ha, ha, ha. yeah. Just lay your hands on the person next to you. And just say more, Holy Ghost, more joy. Say more, Holy Spirit, more peace, more joy, more blessings. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. I love this place. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. God is good. So good to us, so kind, so merciful. This is a wonderful thing that God has done here in this house. Just these times of refreshing.
that have come from the presence of the Lord. So good. I mean, we used to have some pretty intense services back in the day. I don't know if the Holy Spirit was in all of them or many of them, but we could wave a banner with all fierceness and get a full hundred people running in the same direction. But it's just so good now that you it's just he's here. He just hangs out. He's just here. He's just hanging out. It's like you walk in and he's just like, let's do it. Where do you want to? Let's let me minister to you. You know, he's so good. Hallelujah. Well, whew, I thank you guys so much. I'm honored anytime I get to stand in this pulpit. Um, you know, I, I don't, it's no overstatement to say that this church saved my life. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just that's not an exaggeration, man. And uh, you know, I'm thankful for it. Could could it have been any church? Sure, but it wasn't. Could have been any pastor. Yeah, I guess so, but it wasn't. It was Pastor Cletus in this church, and he's my pastor, and I love him. And I love I love my church, so God is good, and, you know, I ain't going nowhere, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Whew. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good, Jesus. Ah, oh, Jesus, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Ah, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, have you been blessed today? Thank you for that word, Pastor. Since I have you standing, everyone quickly go over to Genesis 26. You've been blessed. Now get you prospered. My father, he was like, I need you to give the offering. And I was like, I, uh, what? <laughs> and he was like, I was like, he was like, all you have to do, he was like, you got to teach faith. Because offering messages that are like, give, but they don't tell you, they don't give you faith because it will not work without faith. Right. So quickly, Genesis 26 says, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. He began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. So right right there, the Lord has a blessing for you bigger than what you can see. People are like, well, Lord, bless me one time. And they're like, well, I was blessed. Lord's like, no, no, no. I want to bless you. Continue blessing you until you are a very blessed person. But how do you get that? Right beginning, Isaac sowed. You have to sow to get blessed. Do you sow one time? No, you sow once, you get blessed. You continue sowing, and the Lord continues blessing you until you're very blessed. So if you want to be very prospered, then you have to continually sow. So right now, ushers, you can come on, go ahead right here. We're going to sow for our future, and then we're going to sow again. We're going to keep sowing, and the Lord's going to keep blessing you because you'll start off with, you know, 10%. It's like you put $1 in. You're like, well, I got to, that's my 10% on $10. 
Lord blessed you a hundredfold. Like, why well, have a hundred dollars now? So I put ten dollars in, and you're gonna keep growing. And there's gonna come a place where you have a million dollars, and the ten percent is a hundred thousand dollars. You're like, wow, it's kind of big. Lord's like, well, keep going. And then now you have a billion dollars. The Lord wants to make you a very prosperous person, but how do you get there? You sow. So right now, come on, bring your offerings. Thank you, Father, that you're going to prosper us because we're sowing. And you'll continue prospering us until you've made us very prosperous, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the desire of your hearts is for us to be very wealthy and very blessed. Lord, you don't want us begging for bread, Father. Thank you, Father, that you're going to pour out such a blessing. We can't contain it. Thank you, Lord, Father. Every seed sown today, Father, will produce a harvest. Thank you, Lord. We're not sowing with no... We need that harvest, Father. Thank you, Lord, Father. We receive our blessing right now, Holy Ghost. So thank you, Lord. Bless it, Father. Bless us, Father. Everyone in the whole room say, Father, prosper me. Continue prospering me until you have made me very prosperous. Well, shoo. Well, amen. Whew. Have you been blessed today? Shoo. Amen. Well, I'll pray for you one last time. We'll get out of here. So, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Father, you've given us Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the answer to every problem we have, Father. Thank you, Lord, that as we go out this week, Father, he'll still keep being the answer. Thank you that every person we talk to, Father, thank you, Father, Jesus is the answer, Lord. So thank you, Father, right now we plead the blood of Jesus over us this week, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Continue to touch us continue to prosper us, Lord. And thank you, Father, that this week we're going to go out blessed by you. So thank you, Father. Well, well, there you have it, folks. That is a pretty normal meeting at Deliverance Bible Church these days. So if you want to indulge yourself in the presence of God and the fire of revival, uh, we're preaching and praising God and celebrating all that he has done um, every week. So, thanks for listening to another episode of the Still Called Podcast. I am Still Called, and for more information, you can go to stillcalled.me.